Return to Dallas by Robert P. Fitton. Return to Dallas, Chapter 8. Las Vegas, Nevada, Thursday night, July 25th, 1963, 10.05 p.m. Sherry had not mentioned what she would do after meeting with McWillie, and Patch did not ask. The cooler night air flooded across the white vinyl seats. Patch rolled up the side window halfway. The seaside chirping birds of So Much in Love by the time slowly melded into the song. He snapped his fingers as the vocals kicked in. The Las Vegas lights, a burgeoning glow only a few minutes before, brightened like a new dawn out of the desert darkness. That's a nice song, Patch. I really like it. The Las Vegas strip blazed with a neon barrage from hotel to hotel. Sherry turned around as they passed the Sands Hotel. The blue light washed over her face. Imagine Frank Sinatra right in there. I'd like to hear him sing. I hear Sinatra is personal friends with President Kennedy. Patch nodded. Well, I'll call Frank and tell him we'll be a little late because we have to meet with Louis McWillie and check into the Thunderbird. You do that. He looked at her dark eyes and wide face flickering with each passing hotel sign. Her mouth opened at the next hotel, and she swung her eyes upward from the passenger window. A neon cowboy, a hundred feet high, frontier, bigger than that milk bottle? Oh yeah! She leaned to her right as a parade of glitzy hotels continued unabated. Patch signaled and turned into a shell station. I don't want to put you in danger. Sweetness, we're already in danger. 10.17 p.m. Our lead story on July 25, 1963. An incredible development in the nuclear age. The White House has announced that representatives of the United States, the United Kingdom, and the Soviet Union have signed the Partial Nuclear Test Ban Treaty. This document will lead to the eventual elimination of nuclear weapons tests in the atmosphere, outer space, and underwater. Signing the agreement tentatively approving were U.S. Undersecretary of State W. Averill Harriman, Soviet Foreign Minister Andrei Gromyko, and British Minister of Science Lord Hailsham in Moscow. Patch twisted off the radio. Hard to believe, she said. They've been detonating all that radiation for years. Kennedy is pushing this. I bet the military won't like it. He noticed a large bird attached to the roof for Captain a gold frame marquee. Patch read the marquee out loud. Sammy Slees. I've seen him on late night TV. I'd hate to be in the audience when he comes down there and starts his put-down routine. Sometimes he wears a devil's outfit and has a fake pitchfork. We'll pass on Sammy Slees. He pulled into a space along the brick wall. Two things. I'm a little anxious about this meeting with McWillie because I have no idea what I did for Rosselli and his friends. What's the second thing? Two thousand a week? What the hell do they want me to do? You should have asked Walter the Knife. I think when you're with Walter the Knife, you let Walter the Knife do the talking. He opened the door and stepped into the cooler air. Huge, shiny cars whooshed by on the strip. People were on the move everywhere. He opened the side door. She grabbed his extended hands and stepped into the lot. 
The apricot top and tan Bermuda shorts she had purchased at the vault in Santa Barbara fit her body snugly. Kennedy is a leader, Patch. Do you really think the Russians will keep their word about the test ban? She shrugged her shoulders. They have to. Look what happened last fall. Maybe you don't remember, but we had students at school filling fallout shelters last October. Even way up in Spokane. Ninety million Americans almost died. Where were you before Spokane, Patch? I was on the cliff overlooking the river. I don't remember anything before that. They reached the elongated green canopy with bright red letters. Like a snippet of a movie, their reflection appeared just for a few moments in the hotel window. He liked the lightweight blue Hawaiian shirt and chinos she had bought him in a store three doors down from the vault. I think you were definitely hypnotized, probably by the government, because Roselli specifically told you to stay away from the government people. I agree. For some reason, someone doesn't want me to know who I am. Don't look at me, I'm a losing the money at the track, she said, imitating Walter the knife. Patch smiled as the bellhop in the green suit pulled open the glass door. He tipped his cap as they passed. The inside noise generated a whole new atmosphere. In the soft light clusters, gyrating gamblers yanked chrome slot machine levers. A combination of cigarette and cigar smoke floated through the lobby. Vegas is the place to lose money. Sherry stroked her chin. I wonder what would happen to Moon if he tried to contact Rosselli. Rosselli would get him where it hurts. She smiled and looked up at him. You didn't mean what I thought you meant. Of course not. Moon doesn't have a pair. She giggled and dropped to her knees as she fully laughed. He held her steady as he waltzed up to the long walnut counter. The bald-headed guy in the gray tweed jacket tilted his head as he squinted disapprovingly at Sherry. Then he faced Patch. Sir? Sherry pressed her lips, but turned when she began another bout of silliness. Mr. Rosselli said I should ask for Mr. McWilly. And you are? Patch Kincaid. The man twisted his lips at Sherry, her back still toward him. Yes, sir, I'll be right back. Her eyes filled as she started again. She took deep breaths before she simmered down. We make a fine pair. Pair? Patch put some change in her hand and pointed at the slots along the wall. Why don't you try your luck? Good idea. Remember, you have to get three, not a pair. Patch heard a few more bursts as he placed his palms on the counter. She pulled the lever on the center machine. The machine spun. She turned and shrugged her shoulders. I lost. You and Walter the knife, try again. She nodded and dropped the change into the machine. One oranges. Two oranges, three patch. She jumped around as if she were on a pogo stick and the money poured onto the blue flowery rug. You lucky dog. Patch trotted across the rug and roared in laughter as he squatted down. He almost fell over, scooping up the money. When he finally looked up, a balding man with a square face and a pointed nose folded his hands. He wore a brown suit, thin green tie, and baggy pants. Cheetahs will be prosecuted. No, I really won, said Sherry. She helped Patch to his feet. I don't need the money. Can I quote you on that, Mr. Kincaid? He reached out his hand. I'm Lewis McWillie. Patch closed his eyes and shook his head. Mr. McWillie, I didn't know. Thank you for meeting us. I got the word from L.A. yesterday. Listen, it's more relaxing down at the bar. Sure, this is Sherry. She's with me. Sherry gave a reassuring nod. 
with a quizzical expression. McWillie shook her hand. Sherry, pleasure. Return to Dallas, Chapter 9. The Thunderbird Hotel. The Center Lounge. Thursday night, July 25th, 1963. 10.17 p.m. The wax wood bar extended far down into the main building. At least a dozen bartenders in white aprons and black bow ties waited on well-dressed customers. The lounge buzzed with cleavage-laden waitresses in black shorts, tiptoeing between the rounded tables like choreographed dances. A mixture of bass music from numerous sources shook the carpet. McWillie escorted them to an elevated table bench wrapped with a soft tan fabric. He lifted the white telephone receiver. You tell Jack our guests have arrived. He sat down on the phone as a Filipino waiter in a white shirt and tie rushed over. McWillie faced Patch. What can I get you to drink? Patch looked at Sherry. Beer is good. Make it two, said Patch. Make it three, Puma, said McWillie. He leaned forward as the little waiter scurried away. Patch, I had extended conversation with numerous associates. Conversations centered around you. Me? Him? We have no idea where you've been for the last two years. I worked in Cuba, Patch, at the Sansui in the Tropicana. I know people in Cuba. He leaned forward and lowered his voice. You haven't been with Castro in the last two years, right? Why would I do that? Asked Patch, even though he did not know what McWillie was talking about. Good. I was in Miami in 1961. I know this guy Sanchez won't bother anyone thanks to your friend Mankiewicz. We owe you for arranging that. We owe you more than I can say. His blue eyes sparkled as he spoke. We need surveillance done on a certain individual. Don't let him out of your sight. Who is he? He really sat up and the lines tightened on his forehead. We all like you, Patch, but don't ask stupid questions. It doesn't matter who he is. What matters is what he's doing. The short man in a blue double-breasted suit held his hat he had pinpoint eyes and a wise guy look. How's it going, boys? And he saw Patch seated at the table. Patchy! They told me you were alive. You son of a bitch. You... Jack, watch your language. McWillie motioned to the waiter. Puma, get Jack a coat. The waiter nodded and immediately headed for the nearest bartender. Ma'am, Jack said, slightly bowing and tipping his hat. Patch had no recollection of meeting this man. You look tired, Patch, like you've been through the ringer, like you've aged ten years. Jack's hip greened into Patch's side, shaking the table. McWillie waited and then spoke. I was just detailing the operation for Patch. Good opportunity, buddy, he said, pressing his lips and nodding. The man's name is Oswald, said McWillie, and he's a communist and a loner. He's a Marxist, said Jack. McWillie sneered at Jack and faced Patch. Oswald may have communist tendencies, Patch. And my people tell me he's an angry man, maybe even psychotic. You know, the bad childhood, etc. And I don't have to tell you how the Reds almost blew up the world last fall. I'll tell you straight up. There are a lot of us in this country who never want to get our asses back to the wall again. I've been to Cuba many times. Castro is a little prick. Snap, Jack. Jack, shut up. You never can keep your mouth shut. Jack nodded his head. Oswald is involved in a lot of crap for a lot of people. Jack will get you going. 
You want to know what this man is doing 24 hours a day. You will be paid 2000 per report. Be a jack, asked Patch. No, no, you'll be paid via your post office box. Patch leaned toward McWillie. If I have to keep track of this guy, how do I let you know? We had thought about doing it in writing, you know, a journal. It's a better way. Three and a half inch reel to reel. Jack will make the arrangements to get the recorder to you. You will describe exactly what Oswald does and where he goes. Street numbers, describe the people he's with. We'll take care of deciphering it. Just do your job and nobody will bother you. That's exactly right. We want you to operate with impunity, Patch. When this operation is over, you'll have the opportunity for other operations. All above board, I assure you. Sherry unfolded her hands. Mr. McWillie, uh, what if Oswald spots us? Make sure that doesn't happen. And I'll warn you both. The government wants to find you, Patch. They have no idea what happened to you two years ago, and they really want answers. Alan Dulles fired because of the Bay of Pigs. Mankiewicz was released from Cuba after the missile crisis and is still being debriefed. Mankiewicz? Patch had that surge of emotion and memory glitch as he did when Kennedy's name was mentioned. I'll make it a point to stay away from them all. Like I said, Dulles is gone and replaced by a Catholic, John McCone. Richard Helms is withholding everything and all the shenanigans in the Caribbean from his boss. If McCone knew he'd fire their asses and so would Kennedy. All along they held back the Castro assassination activities from McCone. These men are experts on covering up to their superiors. Plausible denial. Patch nodded his head. I understand. Good. Are you in? He looked at Sharon. You'll have to check with me, Patch. Yeah, I'm in. Willie shook his hand. That's fantastic. This will help us in ways you'll never know. He removed a red card with white lettering from his shirt pocket. If anyone gets on you, Patch, you call me directly at this hotel. What about Jack? McWillie raised his brow. Everybody has their role. Jack doesn't need his ass in a sling. Jack's eyes brightened up. Thank you. Unless things get screwed up. Jack choked on his coke and ice. Hey, I don't need the squeeze. You know all the cops on the force, Jack. He turned back to Patch and Sherry. My main point is you just do your job. Don't worry about anyone else. Keep it in all itty-bitty compartments, said Jack. Exactly. He quickly slid out of the booth without drinking his beer. Please thank Mr. Rosselli. I will. He looked over to Jack. Jack will take over now. Good luck. Thank you. McWillie moved along the bar and soon blended in with the patrons. Then he was gone. Jack pulled his coke across the table. Sherry smiled at Patch. Where are we headed, Jack? You just follow me and Cleo. Cleo? Asked Sherry. My wife, sweetie. I'm Sherry. You brought your wife? Asked Patch. Well, my dog, Patchy. He reached in his pocket and removed a small gold case containing white pills. He quickly deposited the pill in his mouth and swigged the Coke. I'm just a little tired from the drive in Vegas. All in a day's work. I want to swim some laps and take in some boxing matches downtown before I go back. I wanted to be at the convention center on Monday, but I couldn't make it on time. What happened on Monday? What? Where have you been? Liston beat the living piss out of Patterson in the first round. We heard it on the radio. 
a wicked uppercut. Patterson couldn't even tie him up just as well. Drive all the way up here for a one-rounder. The bear is one tough boy. The bear, asked Patch. Listen, they used to use him to make collections up in St. Louis. Nobody survives Sonny's uppercut, and his eyes welled up. Problem is, he's on the stuff. Patch looked at Sherry. Oh, you two are welcome to come with me tonight. Now I think we'll pass, Jack. Get some rest before the drive wherever we're going. Suit yourselves. He finished the coke and then leaned back. He removed a prodigious roll of cash from his pocket. Patch noticed a small handgun. You know what the most important thing is in this operation, Patchy? What's that? You keep your mouth shut. Don't ask any questions and you don't take any shit from anyone. You take the play away. What about pictures of Oswald? Hey, did anyone ask for pictures? Asked Jack as he slid from the booth. Look at you two. You go together like lemon and lime. Which one's lemon and which one's lime? Asked Sherry. You figure that out. McWillie has rooms. Just go to the desk. I'm heading down to the convention center. I'm driving east at 9 a.m. sharp. Capiche? Capiche, they answered together. Good. Au revoir. Sherry hit Patch's shoulder. Just a wild guess, Patchy, but you're a member of organized crime. Looks that way, Lemon. She had a full natural grin as if she had forgotten all her troubles with Ricky Blaze. I thought I was Lime. Jack looks as if they hired him from a standing acting crew in Hollywood. Capiche? Patch laughed as he held the beer. Why are you going forward with this, Patch? Patch stroked his chin. You're paying me money like it's like it's being printed in Roselli's basement. And that's another thing. Roselli is slick. He just sucked me into this. Now I'm afraid to back out. One side of me actually wants to do a good job for him. On the surface, it seems pretty simple. You follow this Oswald, record your observation and send the tape, and pick up at the P.O. box. And put up with Jack, said Patch, laughing. He likes to go around thinking he's big man. Look how he rolled out that cash. Come on. Capiche? Capiche. Patch, I think I should go back home. I'd just get in the way. Patch shook his head, but he could see she had made up her mind. He pressed his lips and removed his wallet from his back pocket. I want to settle up with you then, Sherry. And thank you for what you did for getting me here. She had that same dazed look in her eyes as she did when she recounted her saga with Ricky Blaze. I just thought you were lost. You don't even know who you are. Well, at least I have a name. He handed her a thousand dollars and she casually looked through the stack of bills. Pash, this is way too much. There's wear on your car, too. Will you drive straight through to Spokane? She raised her brows and her eyes moistened. It's over 16 hours. I don't know. If I leave now, I can be in Spokane tomorrow night. I can look you up when this is over. She hugged him tightly. I hope you find out who you are. Patch's hand pressed against her thick hair. Her perfume formed a singular identity. Then he held her shoulders. I hope everything works out for you too. Thanks for listening to me. So, I guess this is it. He held her hands and focused on her eyes. Call me if you need anything, please. I worry about you, Patch. She closed her teary eyes, spun around, and headed back across the bar. Patch just stood by the booth for the longest time. He had no right to hold her back, but he just did not think she would head back to Spokane alone. 
Can I get you something else? Asked Puma. No, thank you. I'm going back to my room. Get some sleep. Complete audiobook of Return to Dallas is available at audible.com.